From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my very special guest today is Rabbi Alex Karlebach, who's the rabbi of Lindhurst Chabad Synagogue. And he has just come back from a J-Roots tour to Poland. And we our topic today is expectations, experiences, and emotions on the J-Roots tour to Poland. He's raising his eyebrows at me. You can SMS us on 34519. Or you can WhatsApp us on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. I would like to just say that Rabbi Kalabach has been a rabbi, a mentor, and a friend to me and my family for very many years. And he's assisted my Jewish side of the family to find their roots more. And he's also assisted my Christian side of the family when they have been in, in trouble. And he epitomizes what it is to be a decent human. Thank you. And Viktor Frankl said, we have come to know man as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those chambers with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. Rabbi, tell me a bit about what made you decide to go on this tour. Shalom, Sue, and shalom to all our listeners. Thank you for inviting me. Um, as an introduction, my daughter, myself, and 48 other people went on this amazing experience and journey through Poland. It was organized by Robin Schmuckler of the King David Parents, and they organized the J-Roots tour taken by a Rabbi Tzvi Sperber, who is the most amazing human being and a person who really helped us to get through what can be considered a very depressing place and trip and helped us really make the journey with him. How did he do that? How did he do that is a very good question. But amongst the things is... He knows the history of Poland inside out. He has been to so many different places. And one of the things he strived to do was introduce us and teach us about Poland before the war and what, what it stood for, how many, what Jewish life was all about. You know, as he mentioned on the tour, Poland was a country that invited the Jews to come there. And the Jews relatively had a good life in a way. They were invited there originally to boost the economy because that's what Jews could do very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is one of the only countries in Europe that never expelled its Jews. So that was uh, quite an interesting thing. And we went to different Stettlach and we saw sometimes either the shuls or the remains of the shuls. And there was a lot of dancing, a lot of joy. And uh, 
One of the ways he did it was bring out the best of your son, Mark, <laughs> Mark. and Leanne, <laughs> because they added a tremendous amount of joy and laughter. Oh, and so, so you know, when I wrote to some of my friends and congregants that I'm in Poland, sent them pictures, they said, we have done that, been there. It's very depressing. We never want to do it again. And yet... No, I don't think there's a person on our trip who felt that way. Mm. So that's just an introduction. To answer your question as to why I went there, uh, my daughter, Penina, who today with her husband and two children ran Chabad of Glen Hazel, when she was a teenager, she started to learn about the Holocaust, and she heard about the March of the Living. And she said, Tati... Don't you ever want to go to Poland? I said, yeah, I'd like to. She says, well, can you basically give your word that one day we'll do it together? And that day never really came. But once, I don't know, she saw it on Facebook, and somehow she heard about this Tzvi Sperber, and the opportunity came up. And not only that, but they advertised that they would be having a Holocaust survivor. It is now over 70 years since the Holocaust. So the opportunity of still meeting actual survivors are getting less and less. So she phoned me up and said, now's the opportunity. Everything's right. Let's do it. And so we booked and never looked back. And I must say that our group was extremely fortunate because the survivor that came with us, he came for Shabbos. He is 89 years old today. Mm. He has his full faculties, his full mind. What a privilege. His name is Leslie Kleinman, or Rebeloza. He was born in a village in Hungary called Satma. Satmar is the seat of the Rebbe. of the uh, Satmar Hasidim, mm-hmm. one of the very, very large Hasidic groups. And in fact, he studied under Rabiel, Rabielish, the Satmar Rebbe, for a year for his bar mitzvah, thirteen to fourteen. Okay, we'll go back to that. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Alex Karlebach, and we are talking about his recent tour to Poland with Jay Roots that he went on with his daughter, Panina, and he was talking about... Um, the survivor who came to them for Shabbos uh, from England, uh, Leslie Kleinman, and I actually have a short YouTube that you'll be listening to after the third advert. Rabbi, just going back to Leslie Kleinman, you know, I mean, it is, as you say, it's a long time since the Holocaust, and he is 89. He was a, he'll, when he has his little YouTube, you'll, he'll talk a bit. But um, it, wa- it must have been an absolute honor to actually meet a, a Holocaust survivor. It was. And um, first of all, his personality. He is so alive. And he has such a warmth 
and so much love to give. And he has the most sweet smile. I had the privilege of when I met him, I spoke to him in Yiddish. Oh, yes. And so we had some very beautiful connection and some very beautiful conversations, all in uh, Yiddish. He said he hasn't spoken that language in many, many years. There was never the opportunity. And did he speak it fluently still? Of course, of course. You don't forget. He was one of eight his father was a shechet in in Satmar, and he said his mother was total love. That's all he could think of his mother. He told us how he came to Auschwitz from Hungary in 1944, towards the end of the war. The cattle cars that they took these people in, I don't know, but... You, I always expected them much bigger. Mm-hmm. They have an exa- a sample of it. In fact, a real cattle car mm-hmm. in I have Auschwitz seen it. Mm-hmm. with a pair of tefillin in it given by the Lowy family. And it is tiny to push in about 150, 110, 150 people into there. And he said, all you got was a little bucket. And you were there close to a week in that car. And after an hour, it was full. So when you came to Auschwitz and they promised you a shower, you were actually looking forward mm-hmm. to that shower. But he had four amazing miracles that saved his life that he attributes it to it. And one was that... Does he attribute it to Hashem, the, the very, miracles? Very, very much so. To God? Very much so. And I think that that's why he's as loving and as full of of optimism and, and energy and it sounds energy like. but no bitterness there mm. and when he got off the car there were polish prisoners you know the jews helping them and one of them quickly whispered to him how old are you he said 14 he said make sure you say you're 17 and that's what saved his life mm. and he's the only one who survived of his family. Mm-hmm. He has a number on his uh, uh, on his arm, and the number is something like 8030 or something, but it adds uh, F8, um, it adds up to 13. Uh. And he said oh. that God made sure he got that number because in Hebrew, the word Ahava, Aleph, hey, base, hey, adds it. The Hebrew letters have numerical value, and they add up to 13. Mm. So God was showing him love. Mm. Mm. And he basically says God held his hand uh, throughout the entire experience. Amazing. Now, Rabbi, going back to your family, um, did you lose any members of your family or uh, yes, we lost uh, quite a few members of the Karlbach family. The Karlbach family was a very famous family in Germany before the war. My great-grandfather, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, was the rabbi in Lübeck, and hmm. he had 12 children, eight re- sons. Five of them were rabbis throughout Germany, 
in uh, Cologne, in Leipzig, in Altona, in, in, in Wandsbeck, in, in Hamburg, in different places. And um, my grandparents, my father's parents, lived in Lübeck, the same place where the great-grandfather was. And sadly, they were sent to the camps in 1941. Hmm. And uh, my grandfather had a weak heart. And he died in Riga in the train station going to the camp. So he never really got there. And his brother... So where was he buried just... In Riga. In Riga. Were they allowed to bury him well, there? Well, what I read is his brother was Rabbi Joseph Tzvi Karlbach. He was the rabbi of what is called Ahu, Altona, Hamburg, and Wandsbeck. He was the chief rabbi, a very, very respected orator and individual. He was offered papers to leave Germany. He had the visa and everything. And he said a captain goes with his ship. Gosh, is that And he so refused to go. What a leader. Some of his children got away to England on the kinder transport. He has a son Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, not a singer, that's another cousin uh, of ours, yes. from Chaim Berlin he was. He went with him and he somehow survived. So he tells a lot of the stories on the Spielberg um, interviews. Mm-hmm. And he made sure that his brother, my grandfather, had a Jewish burial, one of the only ones mm. on, the, mm. on that train. And in Auschwitz now, they have one of the barracks is run by the Yad Vashem, by the Jewish agency, and they have their list of every person that they are aware of that perished in the Holocaust. And you look up the name Karlbach, there's... A lot of them. A lot, a Mm. lot of them. And on your mom's side... On my mom's side, we did lose. Uh, My grandfather is from Poland. He came to uh, Montreal right after the First World War, during the First World War, because they tried to draft him into the army. So we lost a lot of uh, relatives. Mm -hmm. But not that I was personally aware of them. I know we lost. So walking in the footsteps of so many people who were murdered, and which is you went to many places, um, which were graveyards. How, what sort of emotions did you experience there? Did the, you experience the emotions you were expecting, or were they unexpected? You know, intellect and emotions are very funny things. You may know a lot of things intellectually, and you may think that because you know it, you can expect it. But when it is in your face, and when you see it, that's a total different story. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you can easily prepare or have expectations for. Absolutely. We're going to go back to that. We're just breaking for an ad. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Chai FM. 
Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Alex Karlebach, and we are talking about his recent tour to Poland with the J Roots. Rabbi, so we were, you were saying that intellect and emotions do not always go together. Right. And when you ask about the emotions, it's very difficult to express them in words. But once again, I would like to come back to the personal journey that we went on with the J-Roots, with, with Robin, with Svi Sperber, and with the whole group. We somehow, we're from all walks of life in Johannesburg. Oh, we're from, there were from, a few from Durban as well. But from every walk of life, from every shade, we're all traditional Jews, but from every shade of Judaism. And somehow we gelled. It just came together as the most amazing unit. A unit that still remains close now, even though we were strangers in many ways. But you should see the WhatsApps and the different uh, contact that we have. And I think the support that that we gave one another and that uh, Tzvi gave us with his explanations and with the context that he knew in Poland. So we met different people there too, people who are a non-Jew who's looking after a shul. And he, he, what he only did gave us a lot of upliftment. If you talk about the, the camps, there are no words to describe walking through Madanik and seeing the conditions, seeing the gas chambers, seeing the crematoria, and then to top it off at the end, they show you a mound of seven and a half tons of human ash. That's such a shock, isn't it? I remember standing there. Absolutely. How many people is that? Mm -hmm. In addition, you know, personally, I have been very, very moved by uh, my cousin Shlomo Kalbach, who went to Poland in 1985 and again in 1988. And they have a lot of YouTubes of the stories. And I remember him telling stories of it. And amongst the things that he tried to bring out is that we shouldn't just look at the horror of it, but also like the human aspect to it. One of the things he says, for example, is that when you talk about six million Jews... That number is overwhelming. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. You can't take it in anything. But if you talk about an individual, mm. what he meant, what he lost, what contribution he made, what could have come from him, we lost a third of our, of our nation. Mm. How many more would we be? How many more would there be if nothing had happened to them? And each individual, the contributions they were making to Torah, to knowledge, to, to things like that. So if you talk about the camps, we went to Treblinka, Majdanek, 
Belzig. We went. Uh, we didn't go to Belzig. Oh, you didn't go. Mm-hmm. And we went to we went to Lublin, which was very beautiful. That's near Madanik. Mm-hmm. And we went to Auschwitz Birkenau. Those are heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. There is no other words for it. It's, it's just shuddering. Other emotional places we went to were like the children's forest, where they just took children and and, and killed them before they got to the camp in the most horrific way. There's nothing to be said about that. But when you go to Lublin, there was a rabbi, Meir Shapiro, the one who started the Daf Yomi. He changed Jewish life. Until then, a yeshiva bacher was looked down on, scorned. They had no physical things. He had to do his laundry himself. He slept on a bench in a shul. He had no food. They called it Essenteg. He would go one day a week to a different family in that town for lunch. Hmm. But if they'd serve you potato soup and you saw the kids of that family looking at your potato that you're about to eat and you realize they're so poor you're taking it out of their mouth, then you don't feel like going back and you starve. Rabbi Meir Shapiro said... Why should a yeshiva bacha be treated any differently than any university student? And he made it an ambition to build a yeshiva that will va that will be the envy of any university. And he managed to do that. Mm. That was the hotel we stayed in. The building is still standing. Most amazing contributions that he did that he did we were taken to the warsaw cemetery which goes back for centuries mm-hmm. and to see some of the people there and and from all walks of life and the contributions they made were fascinating and then sweet took us to a place like Milaitin, which everybody has heard mm-hmm. of especially if you read leon Erz's absolutely. book absolutely and it was to the Warsaw Ghetto uprising right. for people who don't know. And he made it alive. There were stories that he told. So it was pers- it became personal. And it became very, very together with being downhearted, it was also uplifting at the same time. So was there a sense of pride in in many of the things that Svi Rabbi Svi actually Explained to you, you know, we so often with Holocaust denial coming in now, it's so necessary for us to be witnesses, to listen to the true stories, to actually say this is not what happened. They were not led like sheep to the slaughter. And here with Miller 18, certainly with the ghetto uprising, that courage when they knew they would end up being killed was amazing. Not only that, but Warsaw Jewish ghetto uprising with no ammunition Mm -hmm. because the partisans around them were sadly quite anti-Semitic and they wouldn't give them arms. And they stood up against the German Empire longer than France, longer than Belgium, longer than most European countries that, that Germany conquered. And you had the heroism of these people and the way he described it was amazing. And not only that... But after the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the whole Polish people, the Polish people in Warsaw, 
learned from the Jews to uprise to to rise up against the Germans themselves, mm-hmm. and that is why Warsaw is a completely new city. There's very little historic buildings. You have things on the wall that says here's on the floor. This is where the Warsaw Ghetto is. But the Nazis destroyed the whole Warsaw. Mm. They bombed it out. On the other hand, Krakow is a city who, as Tzvi told us, it was all up to the German commandant to decide what to do with the cities they were in. And he admired and appreciated the beauty of Krakow to such a degree that he didn't touch much. And so the shuls are still standing, and now the Jewish life is returning there. There's Chabad there, there's Chabad in in Warsaw, there's a JCC. Now that Jewish life is returning there, they have all these different things. So, but amongst the emotions is to come to terms somehow with how low human beings can fall, how barbaric, how sadistic, how evil, how evil they can come. And, and to basically, what the Nazis managed to do, even like amongst the Polish and amongst other people that wanted to survive, they realized that the only way they could survive in the Nazis' eyes is if they become more sadistic than, than even the Nazis and this horrific stories. And what they tried to do is not only annihilate our entire nation, but also make us feel subhuman. Mm-hmm. And they did tremendous tortures. They made fun of our Judaism. For example, we are told that in Auschwitz, the food was very, very scant. And yet, on Yom Kippur only is when they would bring out hot food, mocking, and not only mocking. Mocking is one thing, but also trying to see how loyal they would kind of be. And and what did happen? There's different stories. Some stories I read is that no one touched it really. And uh, there, there are such heroic stories of what happened in the barracks. Now, you talk about emotion. You go into a barracks in, in, in Birkenau, and you see how people had to live. The barracks are very, very large. But the bunks they slept on were very small. Mm-hmm. And it was 10 people stuffed into a bunk. All a bunk was was a plank of wood. There were three layers of these bunks in each in each in each spot so where is it best to sleep in he three pointed out the top they had very bad roofs so the rain fell in the middle I hate to say bad things but many of the people had dysentery mm-hmm. and at night you were basically like sleeping in a toilet on the bottom, I couldn't believe the bottom is literally a bank, a, a plank of wood on stones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, the right rats and mice got you. 
One had to turn over, they all had to turn over. So when you see that barbarism and the different stories that he told us and how they even used Jews to be against their fellow Jews, it, it is amazing, the heroism of the Jews. Two of the places that the Jews stood up was in Treblinka and Sobibar. Mm. And one of the things uh, they showed us on a movie in the bus was that in Sobibar, some people tried to escape. There were 13 people who tried to escape. What the Germans did is that they took those 13 who they caught, and before they hung them or shot them, they said, you are going to choose 50 Jews here who are going to die with you. So they said, no, we refuse. So they said, if you refuse, we will shoot a hundred or whatever. So they were forced to do that. And what the other people saw was that if anyone tries to escape, how can they take that responsibility for other people's for lives? For other people's lives. Mm. So the Germans were very cruel, vicious, but shrewd. Mm -hmm. And they worked out human nature and how much Jews care for one another to stop them from rebelling. And the rebellion at the end was that they killed the Nazis and they all walked out of Treblinka. And after that, the Nazis wanted to destroy all evidence of what happened. So they um, destroyed Treblinka and Sabibar. Anything that's there now is memorials built up mm. by the Polish government mm. to it. But Madanek was very interesting, as we pointed out, because Treblinka, Sabibar, Helmo, Belzec, these were built in the forests. Those places were chosen because they had train tracks. And the Nazis needed the train tracks to get the Jews there. So Madanek, however, is right next to Lublin, and it's right next to the city. I couldn't actually believe how close they were. Why were they so close, he said, because it was originally built for Russian prisoners of war ah. rather than Jews. And it was already towards the end of the war, it seems, and they didn't want the Polish people to get any ideas of uprising. So by building Madanik close to them, they could see the conditions that are happening to the prisoners there, and they would be reluctant to try anything because they could end up in the same place. You know, going on on that subject, did Rabbi Svi actually discuss some righteous Gentiles with you, people who actually were able to he, to he, stand up he, to he that did. sort of terror? Yeah, sure. He, he, he very much so. And I know that a lot of the, your group seem to have come back um, almost like revitalized Jews, you know, in their Judaism, really building up on it. Very much so. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> the, the pride that, that we were given. You know, as someone said, that if I had a choice to be one of them, one of us, even with what we've seen in Auschwitz, 
I'd rather, I'm proud to be one of us mm-hmm. rather than one of them. You know, I, I told our group a story that I read because everybody looks at that horror and everybody looks at it negative. I read a fascinating story about Simon Wiesenthal, the famous Nazi hunter yes. who was in Auschwitz. And after the war, you know, sadly enough, in that time, it seems like the entire world was anti-Semitic. As I told you, my father came to Montreal. It's a different story on its own. But when he came, there was a village called saint Agathe, which eventually he became the rabbi in at 60 miles north of Montreal. During the war, all the hotels had signs, no dogs or Jews allowed in this establishment. Mm. And that so was Montreal. That was Montreal. Good heavens. The whole world became anti-Semitic. The Allies knew exactly what was happening, mm. and they were requested just bomb the train tracks to stop the Nazis from getting the Jews from wherever they were. I mean, the Hungarian Jews lost a million Jews at the end, the last year of the war. And this is after the Nazis had already basically lost the war. All they had to do, and yet Jewish members of the RAF that volunteered to go on those missions, and they refused to allow it. We were told how, how President Roosevelt knew about it already in 42 and everything, and they refused to do anything. There's a book called While Six Million Died by, uh, by a guy who writes about how much they knew about it. So not only were they anti-Semitic during the war, but after the war, they put the survivors into something called DP camps, displaced persons camps, which was horrific conditions. And this was in an internment camp after being in concentration mm-hmm. camps. And they were there for a couple of years. And a lot of them had tried to get to Israel, were put it, right. them in there. So there was a Rabbi Silver, Eliezer Silver, a Jewish chaplain, who came um to the DP camp as a chaplain to run the Yom Kippur service. And Simon Wiesenthal writes that he didn't go to the service. So after the davening, he feels a gentle arm on his shoulder. And he says, I noticed, the rabbi says, you didn't come to the service. Are you angry with God? And he answered, I'm not so much angry with God, but one of God's servants. And his explanation was that he saw a guy in Auschwitz who smuggled, at risk of his life, a piece of a sitter into the barracks. Mm. And when the Jews heard that he had a sitter, they all wanted to use it to say prayers, and he charged them. Oh, my word. Either a piece of bread or a uh, stub of a cigarette or whatever. So they were lining up, Mm. and they had to pay him. So Simon says, I found that disgusting. How can someone use religion for their own gain? It's disgusting. And Rabbi Silva said, why do you look at the one person who charged why don't you look at all the hundreds of people who lined up to use that sitter and were ready to pay 
their last piece of bread, knowing that they would get more life from using that siddur than the bread could give them. And he said at that moment, he knows there's two ways of looking at everything. Mm, that's amazing. We're going to be listening to uh, Leslie Kleinman, the survivor that was on the J Roots tour. Um, now we're just going to break for an advert. On the left-hand side is my, is my father. Yeah, he was uh, actually a very spiritual rabbi. His name was Martin Kleinman. Next to him is my mother. Her name was Rachel Kleinman. And when we arrived, we split the things, split there, different queue. Um, some, and then I, I seemed to be on one side, and then my family was on the other side. And I thought, maybe I'll see him later. You know, I had no idea what was going on. And I thought, I'll see him definitely later. They've gone most probably because they're young with their children. They must be put them to a better place where I'm going. Did you ever see any of your family again? I never saw them again. When we arrived in Auschwitz, the thing split. It's the last time I saw them. When I got to Dr. Mengele, he asked me my age. I told him I was 17, and then he passed me. And then I didn't realize it, you know, we didn't, um, I, I didn't realize at the time that um, I'm going to get a number, and then I'm going to get um, striped pajamas, you know, to wear. And um, I saw some terrible things, you know, obviously in Auschwitz. And what, uh, the hardest thing for me was that very bad was my, my heart was bleeding was seeing little children from ghettos coming in 600 at the time you know and, and knowing by now that they're going straight to a gas chamber in fact there was more than a quarter million children murdered and that which is that's part of the six million know the gas chambers was 24,000 um people to eight, 28,000 a day at that time and um, there was 24 hours 24 hours a day you know there was, a, there was a Zonda commandos which were 400 of them and they are the ones who took the bodies out and one case that gave me instance later, later when I managed to speak to one of the Zonda commandos he told me that as he was taking the bodies out from there he saw a lady right in the end with a baby on her breast, you know. And when he brought him forward, and he brought this woman right forward to the cremate, and he realized it was his own wife and child. So there was, I cried when he told me. So this is why I speak now in schools. I'm very interesting to pass my message that we should care for each other. We should not be envy. We should have lots of tolerance. And we should have, and that's why I want to pass with the message. And we should never, never forget the Holocaust because the Taliban is getting on already again, and um, it should not happen again to nobody. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and you've just been listening to the. Um, survivor Leslie Kleinman and he definitely epitomizes the unbelievable power and the strength of the human spirit doesn't he Rabbi? No question it's having met him in person I think that tape makes even more of a profound impression and when you think a boy of 14 years old who had to grow up so quick and have no support 
and not become bitter and and lead the life that he leads and preaches love and preaches kindness and preaches the opposite of envy where do you it it's something special and apparently so i hear from mark and leanne he has this unbelievable energy that went on and on with the rest of you were beginning to fade eventually <laughs> at about half past one at night and leslie was still had energy i think that the energy comes from sharing from from talking when oh. you're listening you don't get so much energy when you have to <laughs> talk you, it builds up but He's got a joie de vivre. Mm. Mm. And, uh. It's amazing to have a joy of life after all of that. He really does. And, and as you say, it just shows you have the opposite extremes. Mm. And one of the things our Rebbe taught us, and I often heard the Rebbe say this at Fabrengen's Lubavitcher Rebbe, that the Germans, were the most advanced, the most cultured, the most scientific, and people in the world. They had the music, they had, and when I went to visit Germany myself, I expected somehow that before the war, I don't know why I expected that, but it was a backward country, and it wasn't. Not at it all. It was the most forward advanced and how can a nation like that turn so barbaric? And the Rebbe's answer, and you hear this from Leslie too, is if you tear godliness, if you tear accountability out of a people, then we become much worse than animals. Mm. It is having, for us, for the Jewish people, it is having a Torah. And when you see how the Torah values, which are inbred, doesn't matter whether you're religious or not, it's in the gene. It's in the gene, and that's why we, we are so much on the forefront of trying to help all people around mm. the world. Mm. And um, So what was a highlight for you of this trip? Just saying that, you know, and watching your group all come together, supporting one another, finding their roots in many ways. What would you say was a highlight for you? The highlight for me was the group. Why? Was three, uh, because of the way we just gelled together. And... Um, so you were able to laugh and to cry together. Uh, all, all, everything. And uh, my hat goes off to, to, to Robin, to Katie from, uh, from the uh, King David parents, mm -hmm. how they put it together and how they, they, they made it all so, so special. And the other highlight was Shabbos. Shabbos was a very, very special day. Uh, we were all together the Friday night. We davened with our own minion. And uh, Shabbos morning, we went to the Chabad run shul there by Rabbi Isaacs and the lunch. Shabbos was very special. Havdallah was very special. Mm. There were all different, different events that made it special. Also, 
knowing a lot of history, because I was always interested in reading up and seeing Lublin, being in that yeshiva, was a, was a highlight. Walking out of Auschwitz, singing with the Israeli flags, and thanking God for what we have today. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter Penina was so heart sore because one of the things that we were told is that when you came to the selection, the only way you could survive as a woman if you had children was giving them up to the grandmother or whatever. We don't appreciate how difficult that is. Absolutely. And we had debriefings often at night. And one of the things she said is if she was 70 years ago, she doesn't believe she would ever be able to let go the hands of her two sons. It's just too horrific to even imagine. When you start imagining that, it's It's beyond imagination, actually. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm with Rabbi Alex Karlebach, and we're going to be wrapping up soon. But Rabbi Karlebach has got one more story to tell. Um, Rabbi, please do so. The story is, you ask about highlights. The highlight is the human spirit. The highlight is, you know, we talk about six million perishing, but when you look at those conditions... The fact that even one Jew survived, the fact that there's one Leslie Kleinman and thousands like that that survived those conditions is the biggest miracle and the biggest sign of that God was with us. Hmm. So the, the, the story is about the championing of, of human spirit. And, and I heard this story. It was in the DP camp. The Skalana Rebbe had lost his wife and ten children. Mm. But his faith, he never ate non-kosher in the war, by the way. Good heavens. And somehow he survived. Mm. But when people asked him, he said, don't follow me. You eat whatever you need to keep your strength. Mm. He was like on a different level altogether. And they went to the DP camps. And he kept to everything. Everything of the Torah was precious to him. And he knew Pesach was coming up. So he started to collect fla- wheat, flour. He built himself a matzah bakery. And he baked matzahs. Now, there were thousands of people in this DP camps and other Hasidic groups. So he gave word to the different Hasidic rabbis that he baked matzahs and he's ready to share them. So there's a lot of Hasidim in every group. He'll give each Rebbe three matzahs, and they have to distribute it to their group. But because he has so few, he's asking them to only ask for the three. One Rebbe's son was in the line, and when it came to his turn, he said, My father asked you if you could give us six. Everyone started to whisper, What kind of chutzpah is Who does he think he is just because there's some big Rebbe? He asked you to ask for three. Look how many people are on this line. And they started to talk how terrible a person he is. But the Skalana said, if your father asked for it, I have the greatest respect. Here they are. Hmm. When the Seder started, there was a knock on the Skalana Rebbe's door. 
that the other Rebbe walked in and he said, be honest with me. Tell me, did you keep any matzahs for yourself? Do you have them for yourself and your own chassidim? And this Galana looked down at the ground and he says, I wish I did, but there were so many people who asked and I couldn't say no hmm. that I gave out every last one. Gosh. And the Rebbe said, that's what I expected of you. I know your character. Hmm. Now you'll know why I asked for six. It wasn't for me. It was to give you back three of your own. And with that, he gives him back three matzahs. Wow. Now... To have come through the camps and to have such a generosity of spirit and such commitment to everything that Yiddishkeit stands for and to know that these are the things that may make us survive Absolutely. the thousands of years, that's a highlight. Absolutely. Of the trip. Absolutely. And you know what? Baruch Hashem. Thank God for that. Victor Frankl said, We who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer enough proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way and that's exactly what you were just saying We, I have a, a, next week I have Romy Michelson on my show and she, she's going to be talking about drama therapy. It's going to be a, a, a really interesting talk uh, of movement and imagination and I'm looking forward to that. And you're going, and we're ending with a song which is uh, by um, a Hawaiian singer called Israel Kamakawiwo. Ola, and it's uh, and it's uh, the most beautiful song. Listen, I'll be there. And what part of the words say? You and I must make a pact. We must bring salvation back. And then he says, "When I was a little boy, my grandfather said to me, when a man walks in darkness, you should be his brother and help him turn around.'" Thank you so much, Rabbi Kalibar, for being on this show. And I would like you to come back again because your own knowledge is great of, of many things. Thank you, God Craig. God bless you.